0: to start just by way of introduction by talking about the fact that the real challenge of what we're doing here, thinking about coaching, and not just coaching growth group leaders and elders in our churches, but we hope many of you will be coaches of church planters, um, maybe not even in your region, but elsewhere in Australia, coaching other planters. The real challenge of coaching and um, training and, and delegating and a lot of these things is conscious competence. was one of the WA pirates the other day said about Duane, I think, that he can plant. Um, but can he teach? And that's, that's a challenging question, isn't it? Someone can, um, you know, a lot of us would say that, right? It's not just picking on, you know, one individual, but, you know, uh, I know I can do it, but can I teach someone else to do it? I don't know, because other people are just so dumb, <laughs> you know? That, 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 it's so hard, isn't it? It's hard to get yourself back into how you do what you do naturally. It's the challenge of coaching. Just because I'm good doesn't mean I can teach others. You know, we end up saying, just be more leadery. You know, just stop making stupid mistakes. Um, and, And the person you're coaching says, but how? How do I do it? How do I make it work better? How do I improve it? So the learning curve runs that you begin with unconscious competence. You don't know how bad you are. And that's most people as they begin a church plant. You know, they've got the strategic plan to, you know, grow to 200 people in the first six months, 80 of which are converts and, you know... These sorts of, you know, don't know how bad they are, don't know how hard it will be. There's the bravado and the idealism and maybe a little bit of unteachableness there. Um, But that's the buzz of this whole network too, is being around that. You know, it's kind of cool. That's the unconscious competence. But you go from not realising, being unconscious of how incompetent you are, to becoming consciously incompetent 18 months into the church plant when you haven't seen the 80 converts or the 200 people. um, You either give up, stubbornly press on being faithful but not very reflective On um, and therefore are you being faithful? I don't know. Or you seek help and realise that actually, hang on, I don't know everything. I'm now aware of the fact that I don't know everything and part of my faithfulness will be asking for help and seeking some advice. So I go from unconscious incompetence to painfully conscious incompetence to then, hopefully, through the help of a, a Geneva coach and others, I become consciously competent. I now... I'm doing what I've been coached to do and I deliberately have to do it and there's a little reminder that I always check over before I do it and I you know, evaluate myself after I do it and I really am deliberately, carefully making sure, I'm practicing uh, and, and I'm doing it and I'm doing it because I'm conscious that I'm doing it which again is the great reason for having a recent church planter coaching other church planters is that I've recently learnt the lessons they're fresh in my mind I can even remember the you know, the kind of rocky training sessions I went through to to get to that point and so I can pass it on quite clearly. Um, The problem is you don't stay there. I mean, it's good for efficiency that you end up becoming unconsciously competent. You know, you drive home and can't remember how you got there. Um, uh, I read an article, again, about tennis, um, talking about the training uh, that you have to go through in tennis. A lot of it's to get muscle memory happening because the ball is coming at you you know, it's at 200 kilometres an hour. You don't have time to be consciously competent. You need a lot of it trained into your muscle memory, so you do it unconsciously. Yeah? Um, and the same way, all sorts of things. We begin to just be unconsciously competent about it. We, uh, we know how to do it without thinking about it. But then that's a problem. Because in order to coach someone else, we need to go back down and become consciously competent again. We need to re-remember and rethink through how we do, what we no longer pay attention to how we do. How do you sell vision? How do you set realistic but stretching goals? How do you know when to be firm, when to be flexible? How do you improve a growth group? Well, you just do. You've got to think it through again. It's worse for those of us who are natural leaders, who um, to some extent kind of skip the conscious competent phase in some of things. A mix of intuition and agility with trial and error means that you just kind of fumble along and get better and you don't quite know how you did it. It's worse for you because you never needed really the conscious competence step as much. Um, And so you need to actually, for the sake of serving others who don't have that intuitive learning agility, you need to deliberately go through the step that was boring for you to have to go through for yourself. But for the sake of others, do that middle step and analyse what you were doing without realising you were doing it. The great planters, if you forgive the term, uh, may not need Geneva and Geneva coaches and Geneva assessment. But Geneva is for the others who are the good planters who, on their own, could really struggle, but with the help and the coaching, uh, will become consciously competent and be able to succeed. So, with all that as a kind of introduction, what I want to do is take this article, No Church Planting, Family Alone, Leading Voices, Weigh In on the Top Challenges Facing Today's Planters, by Exponential Todd Wilson and Ed Stetzer, um, and summarise it and reflect on it for the Australian context and for coaches in particular. So what, you know, what things might be tweaked on it for um, the Australian context, what things do we want to highlight as coaches it's not like a scientific study or anything. They say that. It's, it's more or less anecdotal. A bunch of people filled in an online survey, a bunch of other people who've coached church planters, share their own thoughts, and they just kind of said, here's things that we've noticed. They came up with seven, and if you've read the article, you know what they are, right? There's the leadership development and reproducing culture. Second, financial self-sufficiency and viability. Third, t- uh, team development. By that, I think they mean core team development and volunteer mobilisation. Fourth, systems, processes and cultures. Fifth, vision casting and avoiding mission drift. Sixth, evangelism and discipleship. And seven, health and family. So leadership, finances, core team, systems and processes, vision casting, evangelism, discipleship, and health and family. What's interesting about the list is it's not about counselling people who've had divorces or finding venues. They're actually all priority issues. So that's, um, that's just one quick observation I'll come back to. That actually the key issues, according to this at least, and I think it would probably ring true for us here, the key issues are not the hassles church planters face. Uh, the key issues are keeping the priorities the priorities and focusing on the priorities. So I reckon that's a helpful thing? That the biggest challenge we face is staying focused on the main game. I'm going to smash them together into five headings. And uh, I hope that will work. So here we go. The first the one that I want to focus on is leadership, development, delegation, and systems. So kind of smashing them all together. Leadership, development, delegation, and systems. You can minister to somewhere between 70 to 200 people as a single minister with a loose committee of leaders and some apprentices. You can do that. Depending on the age and stage of the church, depending on whether you're urban, suburban, or regional, depending on other things, something between 70 to 200 Uh, You can meet them, pastoral visit, preach, and it can be fairly ad hoc, fumble as you go along, that kind of thing. But beyond that, you've got to grow leaders, you've got to add staff, you've got to add volunteers. The report, the, the thing that we're building on here, talks about the scarcity environment where you begin to need people but you don't have anybody so you just take any willing person and just kind of go, oh that'll do, off you go, <laughs> here's a job. Um, and, and so you end up running the risk of giving the wrong people the wrong jobs and then maybe you have to take the job back off the person and that's getting awkward. You know? And uh, you get stuck in the cycle because then you need another person to fill the job because you've just taken the job back from the person and so you start to get desperate in this, this scarcity cycle and maybe you become too busy to train and delegate. And so you don't have any leaders who've been trained and delegated. And so you do it all yourself, which means that you don't have any time. It means you're too busy to train and delegate. So you don't have any leaders. So you have to do it all yourself. So you're too busy to train and delegate. And round and round and round and round you go. In particular, in the launch phase, that's the third challenge in the article. In the launch phase, rating the core team, the third challenge, the core team, um, that's, uh, that's a <coughs> unique season Bless you, of... Um, of this delegation stuff. A quote in the thing under Challenge 3 is it's... Um, uh, maybe like the fifth paragraph there. Fultz likens the scope of planting a large church to an inexperienced general contractor building a house faced with a list of well over 300 tasks. Isn't that a good summary of what it is? You've got to kind of be an expert in promotions, leadership, training, teaching, welcoming, socialising, hospitality, venue set sound website development, and so on, so it, it 's especially there 's a pressure there to, to work out how to how to share tasks, and so that if we can work hard at gathering recruiting and and delegating to a core team a launch team uh, we 're going to be off to a good start going to be off to a good start there um, it 's harder for us to do that core team stuff, I think in Australia for a few reasons I think um, Uh, It's hard because uh, we're a very denominational country and so gathering core team people from other churches is generally seen very suspiciously, you know. Um, Hang on, you're taking people from our church to join your church. How dare you? So there's a bit of that kind of territorialism enhanced, I think, by the denominational environment. So it's hard to gather a big core team. It's hard because we just don't naturally, we're not as much of an entrepreneurial culture. So that ideal of going, I've got a new big idea and I'm going to go and sell people on it, we wince at that. We prefer the idea of going, no, I'll just go it alone, mate. You know, kind of jackaroo, I'll write off and I'll just kind of, you know, Brian Brown, my church together and she'll be right, mate, you know. um, So we don't like that, having to sell and win people over to come join us quite as much. We we pride ourselves on we're just gospel growth, not transfer growth. Um, but in the end that just means a very slow start rather than building a team that you can share that 300 tasks with as you start. You do want to see conversions, uh, but in order to see conversions, you need to grow a team that share the task with you to help you get the conversions. And definitely with the Vision 100 network, um, we are talking about this over breakfast, that very few of the church plants that we began with cause under, under 30... Um, have grown or have survived and those who have most of them have been very very slow 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 growing whereas the ones that have the 30 or 40 adults uh, have been much quicker much stronger partly for this the ability to delegate to a team and set up some rosters and so on from the beginning so that's something now the, the Americans do talk about 50 mm. you talked about 30 40 do you think that's uh... well I mean is it kids or is it not kids and um, yeah that kind of thing about 30, 40 adults. Yeah. 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 50? 50's good? Yes, please, 50? Oh, 100's great. Yes, thanks. Yeah, okay, 100's good. Don't start unless you can get 100. Yeah, something like that, isn't it? It's it's something around that. W- would you say 50? 50 no, I'm adults? Puzzled. I'm you know, yeah. I'm over it as well. Yeah, yeah. How many did you're happy to jump in. Yeah, that's what we've been doing. Yeah. So is there a difference between, say, 100, yeah, we're all going, yeah, 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 but is that 100 core totally sold on the vision? Yeah, so there's that launch team compared with a larger crowd you might launch with. That's a, yeah, that's a different factor too. I think in Australia we resist leadership development in general because we resist leadership in general as a, as a, as a culture, at least um, you know, the, the Anglo culture does. Um, and we resist leadership in our church culture um, because, no, we just preach the Bible, thanks, and that's what we do and it's kind of a badge of honour to sort of do everything else a little bit badly. That's kind of good. And we kind of probably, oh, we just fumbled along and that's actually a really good thing. And so that's, they're, they're the Australian cultural things that we're not as so good on those things. And we've got to be careful if we get better at them not to do them in a way that actually are irritating to, us, to at least Anglo-Australian culture. So even though we should get better of them against our culture, we've got to be careful how we get better at them because otherwise we'll no longer seem Australian. So there's, there's a whole mix of things there. <laughs> How to be American by stealth? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah so so it is. It's, it's, it's you know it's, it's some cross cultural learning that has to happen there. But yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Um, yeah. So all this means we've got to coach our planters in leadership development. We've got to coach them in that, and we've got to think through contextualising that. What it looks like in the Australian kind of context as well. So, we've got, to, we've got to think all that through. We've got to coach them in the people skills, communication skills, hospitality skills, warmth of manner if those things are needed. Uh, constantly identifying tasks with them that they should give away and encouraging them to over delegate wherever they can. You know? um, uh, ask them to uh, teach them how to delegate fully, clearly, in detail, neither just dumping jobs because I'm about the preaching of the word, I don't care about that crummy stuff I've given to you. You do that. <laughs> Neither dumping jobs, nor kind of hovering over the shoulder going, no, 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 no. don't do it like that. do Look, look, like this. Here we go, you hold the pen, and I'm, there we go. <laughs> Neither like that either. So we've got, we've got to teach actually how to pass on, you know, and oversee. I found really helpful the, the secular podcast Manager Tools. I came across it over my holiday in the last year, manager-tools.com. And they're just lots of very, very practical advice on how to delegate, manage, oversee, very... I mean, it, it, they waffle a fair bit, and I like that, but that might irritate you, because podcasts are podcast of 30, 40 minutes, um, and they're, um, they're a bit cowboy in the way they talk, you know. But um, it's kind of fun, you know. You can see it as a bit of a theme park ride as you listen to them, and heaps of very practical advice on, um, on delegating and overseeing and, and so on. So, manager-tools.com. Our job is not doing the jobs. Our job is figuring out what jobs need to be done, how they should be done, giving them to others, and then supporting others as they do them. That's our job. And that's a full-time job. (laughs) A full-time job is continuing to figure it. It's the thing that Driscoll says about working on the church, not in the church. Figuring out what needs to be done, finding the people to do it, training them in it, and overseeing them and supporting them as they do it. That whole process is itself a full-time job not just dump and run. Uh, We can't just dump jobs and others and then get angry when they don't do them. Uh, Our anger as pastors should be proportional to the amount of care we've taken to actually uh, delegate and oversee. Um, uh, Our job is delegation, oversight, feedback. Yes, actually care about all the details, but not exactly how all the details get done. So you ask your church planter could you email me a list of every job you do, every responsibility you have? Wouldn't that be great? Just write down me what you do every week. You know, Maybe at the end of the day for a whole week or a whole month, you, know, you write down what you do. Let's have a look at your list. Um, give me a list of the details you give when you delegated that job that you're about to delegate. How much information do you actually pass on and see how much detail they give. Uh, what feedback have you given to people recently on jobs they're doing in church? Um... Who needs more jobs? You know what I mean? You're asking these questions all the time, getting them thinking, who else, what next, what else can I pass on? Let me move on. The second one is financial viability, and I'm going to spend the least amount of time on it because it's the most, one of the most difficult. <laughs> um, but I, it really needs a whole other separate issue, I guess, is the reason for it. Um, one of the best things you can do uh, with your planter is to dig into the finances because it is a big stress. It's a big hurdle a major area for some personalities of guilt and avoidance as well um, in terms of fundraising and managing the money. Avoid it, put it off, feel awkward about it, don't do anything about it. So it's a one area where you can help them have a godly theological vision about money and financial support and so on. So going through the biblical vision for paid ministry, you're not asking for help for a pet project, it's a huge priority. You don't apologise about it, you're inviting people to come and join you in a great enterprise for the kingdom. So... The Biblical vision for paid ministry. You're set aside for the great work of the last days and stuff. Um, Giving them a biblical vision for financial partnership. It's not pleading for handouts. It's not asking out of need and desperation. It's inviting people to be fellow workers in what you're doing through the work of giving and praying. It's good for the church itself to be healthy by being taught to be generous. And so you being scared about being always asking for money is actually doing your church a disservice by not teaching them to be sacrificial, especially in our culture, which is materialistic. We want to teach against materialism by teaching generosity. So biblical vision of financial partnership is part of expression of church partnership. Thirdly, it's a time investment in our teaching, in our preaching, in our planning, in our leadership, whether you're an established church, uh, missionary work or a church plan. Investing time in fundraising, is good for you, good for your donors, good for your church as an ongoing priority. It's not just before you begin. You do the fundraising and then put it off for the next 12 months until you're desperate and then do it again and then can't wait until one day you're huge and then you'll never have to talk about it again. I mean, you're still fundraising, right? Mm. Yeah. So yeah. we're going to be handing around the hat later. For, um... <laughs> it's one of the things you do. It's casting the vision, inviting people to join, whether with time and energy and gifts or in money. You'll be doing it. That's what you do. Um, uh, fundraising even when the church is viable and so I write a fundraising plan and we are blessed in australia because we've got the best i've seen the afs fundraising manual is better than any of the american books i've seen on fundraising in terms of its theological rigor it's just it's got all the details about having a full fundraising plan with a pitch and with uh the needs and with the uh, everything and how to aim for people and who to aim for and how to do it so um so we want to do it well, we want to do it biblically, we want to do it as, it should be an encouraging thing, it should, rather than the thing you feel guilty about, you go, I'm inviting a, a partnership together with other person, and the more actually that we build that relationship and in a sense the more I ask of them, the more of a joy it is for them to be a part of the, the, the fellowship together. We're praying and they're advising and often the generous donor will have other expertise they'll be able to bring to, to, to bear as well. And you know, then the, the less generous donor who is massively prayerful and is the biggest fan, they can't give heaps, but they become this massive groupie about what you're about and so on. So so it really is, it's, and, and it's something that we want to have in our heads and pass to them, it's a major part of your job. You know. Um, I don't know how others break it down here, but I, I would say you know, your job as being you know, preaching and teaching, your vision setting, your training of leaders and your fundraising is, is four key priorities. But I've got five headings here, so. <laughs> Um, third, vision setting and systems. So again, smashing systems in together with vision setting because the two do need to go together. Again, these are all priorities. It's managing priorities that are the challenge church planners face. Giving up some things so as to focus on other things. We mustn't be impatient with planning. Planning is never 100% works. I heard a great quote that you can't reach the stars, but you can navigate by them. And I think that's a great way of thinking about it vision setting, and vision casting. It's setting the, the course that you're on. Um, uh, so vision planning, asking this from your, your planner, uh, that whole process of where are we? You know, the stuff Cole did with us yesterday. Where are we now? Why are we here? Where do we need to be? How are we going to get there? Just asking those questions seems so obvious, but until someone, a coach, asks them of us, we often don't analyse it well. Assess then plan, then assess again it's good for lots of reasons it's good big be- having this vision setting process is good because it does help us evaluate where we're at, what's not going well, and what is going well. If something's not going well, we want to do it better, if something is going well, we want to do more of that, um, so it really helps us assess it helps stretch and refresh us, and so on there's again in the report um, uh, under challenge five uh. In that second paragraph, there's a quote from a guy who says, Nine times out of ten, when I've been discouraged, it's because I zoomed in. He says, planters need to zoom out and look at the big picture. Most planters dream big, but they don't think long. And that's a recipe for frustration. The key is thinking long. So, so thinking, zooming them out to refresh them, to stretch them, to think bigger, um, rather than gradually getting sucked in by the demands and the pressures and the worries. They need to keep things stretched out. You know? And it helps you do that whole reverse engineer thing of going, well, there was one really dumb but good question yesterday in in the kind of questions you could ask, which is, if you could solve the problem, what would the answer be? (laughs) But but that's that kind of thing, isn't it? It's going, I don't know how to fix this problem. Okay, imagine you had fixed it. Just picture it for a second. What does it feel like? What does it look like? Now, what did you do to get there? Oh, it's simple. I just did this, 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 this. And... There's something about the way our minds work, that if we jump into the future and visualise, it's easier, whereas we're back here and we try and push through. It's I don't know what the... There's probably science for that. So it helps us in thinking backwards in that kind of way and going, if we want a third staff member in two years' time, what do we actually got to do? What what did we do now, given that we have that staff member in 2014 sort of thing? Vision setting. Uh, In the report, there's the quote that... um, we, need to, we often assume as planters that because it's clear and compelling in our minds, it's clear and compelling in everyone else's minds. And how many of us have found about a year into the church plant that it actually wasn't even clear and compelling in our life's mind um, what we're actually on about. Um, you've got to say it again and again and again and again and again. And the, the manager tool guys talk about if you say something seven times, then half the people claim they've heard it once. And that's, that's the kind of thing. It's not until people make jokes about you and the way you keep on vision setting, that you know you start to do it enough. <laughs> um, in the, the purpose-driven church, Rick Warren has a whole bunch of S words for ways you can vision set. There's the stories, the slogans, the symbols, and then there's a few others as well, I can't remember. But that, finding different ways to do it. You know, some people will be captivated by the story and the person up the front and her telling her story about how she found her way into your church and... It doesn't use quite the right theological language to do it and ums and ahs a lot, but everyone's suddenly really excited about growth groups because she said it. You know, that's one way. Another is just catchy slogans that people can remember and uh, refer to as they think about church life um, and so on. So, so keep finding ways and encouraging your planet. You know, how are you vision-setting? What are the ways you're doing it? Even setting up events to vision-set from. So that whole idea of every time you get to a peak in church life, Give give the church a peak to the next, you know, peak from the peak kind of thing, you know. So once you once you get to a, a big whatever it is, an Easter service or a big um, first year anniversary, don't just do that and do a Mexican wave. But once you're there, you've got to use that peak to give a glimpse of what's next. Um, winning people over when you don't have much to show, uh, the way to do it is by selling them a vision of what you're going to be. So you can't win them over with what you've got. So you need to have a clear vision. But then, if things do go well, winning over people when it's too big to be part of a nice, cosy community, the only way you can win them over is by having a vision that makes it worth being part of something that's not cosy and comfortable. So, so vision is an important thing. Uh, but vision then needs to drill down to next actions. You need to put the vision into concrete, specific actions. Beware of goals that include words like plan, develop, enrich, evolve work on, improve. They're kind of shmurr, shmurr, plans, you know. And it's going to gotta do it better-ish. If, kind of, sort of, evolve it. We'll evolve it from here. What you want is things like meet, train, um, talk to, write. No. These sorts of things that are actually concrete, measurable, verbs. specific <clears throat> verbs. Yeah, real <throat> verbs, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, um... And the vision must lead to next actions. Now here, I mentioned the manager tools is helpful for delegating. The real helpful thing, for I think, for vision setting down to actions is David, App, David Allen's stuff on getting things done. I hope you've come across that stuff. Uh, you really must. It's just terrific in terms of managing, uh, managing your, your, all your jobs and your email and your project. It's such a helpful way of thinking about managing tasks and stuff. But it's also helpful in managing vision through the task. So he talks about, using a kind of an aviation metaphor, your vision is like your 50,000 feet. And so that's where you're going, where you want to aim for. But then you need, need to come down to your, your three- to five-year goal, your 40,000 feet. Um, and, and that should be informed by your vision. You know? and, and then your, your one- to two-year goals is your 30,000 feet. And, and again, that should be informed by your three- to five-year goals, should be informed by your vision. Then you've got your areas of responsibility, which is how it actually cash is out now. So if you're going to, in two years' time, do this, what are the areas of responsibility for you and for your church to make that happen? You know, what are the, the roles, the the areas that will implement that? And then those areas of responsibility have projects, which are large chunks of tasks that produce a, an output of some kind. Um, so a project would be, you know, your summer fest or your um, growth group leaders, um, you know, you. Uh, being trained and deployed or something like that, and your projects have actions. And so most of your time is spent managing your actions and your projects, but they're part of these larger things. If you're not clear and you're feeling fuzzy about what the heck you're doing, you need to go up to a higher altitude. If things feel fuzzy and vague, you need to go down to your areas of responsibility, your projects and your actions. But yeah, Getting Things Done is just a superb book for managing that and giving you a comprehensive system across personal life and work life, and especially in email age, got a lot of helpful advice on on all that kind of stuff. Okay, uh, number four, evangelism and discipleship culture. So establishing that, again, all priorities. Um, I want to add to this uh, a theological culture. So in addition to evangelism and discipleship, for us as leaders and the church planters as leaders, as well as for the whole church, a, a a study, preaching, teaching culture. In other words, it's the discipleship culture, right? Ranging from evangelism to the making disciples to the deepening and maturing of those disciples. We're not just leaders, counsellors, administrators, planners, fire-putter-outers We want spiritual growth, evangelistic growth, deepening, enriching growth, because the fruit of spirituality is wisdom, right? The peak of the kingdom in the Old Testament comes Proverbs and the New Testament where the prayers and the letters are not simply that you will be obedient, but that you will be discerning and be able to know what is best. And so the fruit of... Of God's glory and his image bearers is that we actually are wise. And, uh, so we want deep disciples. Uh, you don't want to set a culture where people just come to you if they have a problem because then they'll start having problems in order to come to you. Instead, you want to focus on growing Christians and find growing Christians to help them grow more <laughs> so that they can help you in focusing on growing Christians. There's a real fun bit in the, 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 the thing under discipleship culture. Uh, where in the second paragraph there he says, church planters have this mythological equation, lost culture plus relevant church plant equals instant harvest. (laughs) So they set out with a new formula that they will fill the local middle school gymnasium or movie theatre with lost people. They have a vision of lost people streaming in mass through the doors on Sunday shouting, I found it! (laughs) No matter what planter is going to spend the majority of their week getting the production ready. uh, God can use the band, slides, movie clips, coffee and donuts. But at the end of the day, the incredibly demanding grind of the attractive church takes away from the pursuit of those far from God. Simply put, when you have an attractive plan, it can end up solely with an attractional strategy. The end result will be that you sell a new church and better church product to consumers of religious goods and services. It's good to have donuts. (laughs) Yum. It's good to have a good church service. We're not saying that somehow those things don't have their place as well but you, you want a culture that goes beyond simply the, the one solution. Awesome band equals instant growth. That, that's, that's what this, they're going out there. Um, uh, we, we need the culture of discipleship. Now, I personally am not convinced that every planter themselves must be a great personal evangelist and friendship evangelist. I think we like to think that's the case because we feel guilty when we're not good at it, um, and it feels like we're doing something when we're doing it. But I don't think the key is that we must somehow be this mighty friendship evangelism force, I think the key is we must have the evangelist heart and we must be engaged with non-Christians. Whether we're mighty at it ourselves and do stacks of it, that will differ from person to person, family to family, situation to situation. But we must have the evangelist disciple-making heart. Uh, and so in our planning and our praying in our people in our systems and our culture, that's filtering out. It might be then that the, the ones who really are the gifted evangelists flock to you because they see that you're behind them. Do you know what I mean? Even though you're not great at it and feel like you, know, you never see anyone converted. That's okay. You know, the key is to have the heart for it. I do think there is. Um, you don't have to have it, but I do think if we're all not finding some place to have um, a deliberate evangelistic thing happening somewhat regularly, mm. it will show over time in our own ministries. And so then it comes out in the preaching. Yeah. comes out in the time you give to people raising concerns about non-Christians' needs, you start to trivialise that and go, oh, does that really matter? Yeah. Is that really an issue? Yeah, um, exactly. You start, the alarm bells stop going off when the assistant preacher preaches the us-versus-them style sermon, yeah, all those sorts yeah, of things. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, definitely. And the same goes with the other things here, discipleship and Bible teaching. We don't have to be doing all the one-to-ones, but if we're not in some way opening up the Bible and praying and ministering to people spiritually, that can over time start yeah. to show in some way. Um, and if we're not thinking and growing theologically, that will start to show over time. So that whole the area of discipleship, from evangelism right through to deep spiritual growth and ministry, over time that stuff will start to, um, yeah, start to wear. And uh, number five, health and family. Uh, it's so 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 important. The paragraph uh, in the report on that section. So it's number seven. Uh, paragraph two, I personally believe there are a lot of unhealthy people out there planning churches. Unfortunately, unhealthiness just produces more unhealthiness. So many of the other issues seem to fall into place when your overall health is a priority. I don't hear a lot of people talking about this. Paragraph four, plan to cite the following specific struggles. The internal battle to overcome pride, self-reliance, drivenness and uncoachable attitude. It's two, loneliness and isolation. Three, mistrust. Four, lack of rest. And Five, maintaining joy. And on and, and on and on. There's a lot of you know, kind of powerful, shocking stuff there, the crisis of belief that comes when what you hoped for doesn't happen and, and, and all sorts of, of things, these challenges that, that come into place. Um, we've got to be alert to that, that this is, you know, I mean, life is horrible, awful and painful, and church planting is very challenging and stretching and painful and our egos and our identities go into it and our expectation about what God can, can do and the power of his word goes into it. Um, The competitiveness and envy, as as we kind of hear others talk about their successes and failures, comes into it. Um, The amount that our family puts into it and and carries it in in many, many ways. Uh, The the way that it affects us, that it affects our family we don't even notice as we bring it home in our manner and our moods. We need to be alert to all that, but we can't solve it. We're one of the people in their lives. We're not the complete person who will fix all their problems in their lives. So we, we coach them, we press buttons around it but we're not not promising to and we're not responsible for making them, their wives, their health, their marriage happy fully. So the Geneva Refresh helps in raising those issues and providing a forum to talk about it. Coaching helps in raising those issues and talking about it. This network that that we're trying to build helps in giving them peers to talk to and and have contact with. Um, but we need more than that. We need them to own it and we need to push them to own it to build the friendships themselves and to build friendships for their wives as well. It's got to come. You know, they've got to drive it as well. We can't manage it from a distance. It's a huge thing, an awful thing, an ongoing thing, and, and so it needs to be treated seriously. Uh, we need to urge them to build support networks themselves. We need to ask occasionally, yes, about alcohol, sex, porn, weight, rest, um, you know, all those sorts of things, holidays... Um, we need to be available and responsive in case of disaster. We might be the one person they call. Um, and, uh, and so if, if they choose to call us as that one person, we do need to be willing to be responsive in an above and beyond way. Uh, but biggest of all, we need to keep preaching the gospel of grace and the message of the, the loving father to the, the prodigal son um, and so that we're here in grace. We do need to, for all the critique of the faithfulness excuse... Faithfulness is our calling. So we do need to keep preaching uh, that the call of the ministry is the call to faithfulness. Now we want to talk about what that means in terms of also being diligent and hardworking and resourceful and stuff. But in the end, what we want to do is get the great, well done, good and faithful servant. We want to be faithful. So we need to keep, keep communicating that. Um, uh, all that kind of stuff. Let me just close by saying, and then we can discuss with time we have, five, ten minutes remaining. Um, Close by saying again, all of these challenges church planners face are priority issues, not other kind of sidetracking things. They're they're not the pastoral challenges here and the venue challenges there and the legal issues here. They're the big priorities. They're the big challenges we face. And it's the biggest way that we can serve our planners is helping them stay focused on their priorities and and continuing to to meet them well. And I mentioned getting things done is great in drilling vision down to action. I think the great companion book to Getting Things Done in terms of managing priorities is The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, whose title is so embarrassingly awful, but whose content doesn't really match the title. It's a very very down-to-earth book, actually, in a lot of ways, I think, in terms of spelling out a mindset of being a person who focuses on priorities in life um, rather than on trivia. And so the big thing in that book, Seven Habits, is um, that you want to squeeze out the... Urgent, unimportant things, that is email, text message, uh, pastoral kind of uh, fusses and all this kind of stuff. If you want to, you know, minister's breakfasts and things. You want to squeeze out the urgent, unimportant, um, and so that square in your life becomes smaller and smaller because you're filling up your life with the non-urgent, important, the stuff that is desperately important but will never have a, a dinging noise that goes along with it. Um... That, that, that kind of advice, being that kind of person who is not constantly complaining about the things that you can't change anyway or the things that you don't have to do but you've just said yes to because stop being that person and instead becoming the person who understands what is important you know, by God's grace and his power and focusing on what is important. Uh, first of all, let that shape everything.